Yo, what's up, y'all? Today we have a cool episode with Vinay Process Street. Uh, he's building a business process automation company that's leveraging AI to basically make your teams more effective and more efficient. Check it out. Uh, super impressive entrepreneur building a really cool business. Thanks, y'all. See you on the other side. Dude, so I love to kind of dive in and like start with just like you and like who who you are and how you kind of got your start um, as an entrepreneur. Like I noticed that you kind of worked in sales, digital marketing, kind of maybe previous to starting your own companies. So talk talk to us about like how did you transition from that to kind of building companies? Had you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, that sort of thing? Yeah. I didn't come from a entrepreneurial family, so no one really in my family or, you know, environment community was like entrepreneurial and I didn't really have that exposure, but I was always just like a bit of a wheeler and dealer. Um, so when I was young, when I was, you know, 11 or early younger, I would like sell candy at school. I got a paper run basically when I was 11 and by the time I was 18 I'd worked lots and lots and lots of different jobs and done all sorts of little side hustles um I at, through that kind of period of pretty much like you know in, until the end of high school I ended up getting my so my dad was a Cisco trainer and he taught like the Cisco and Microsoft like certification programs in, in Sydney oh and so we had this house that was full of like routers and firewalls and switches and all this like all these computers all like you know networked up and cat five cables hanging out the windows and um and then i also got into gaming and so i would like build my own computers and i was top 50 in counter-strike in australia and i had like uh i would you know i'd have like because i because i had multiple computers at my house i'd have like my friends over and would like play land games and stuff and so kind of through that, I, I got an interest and in, had like a natural in, inclination for computers. And I ended up getting my CCNA when I was 16, which is like my Cisco certification, uh, obviously with my dad helping me to, to go through that program. And then when I was, then after I got that, uh, I was able to get a job as a sysadmin when I was 16. And so I kind of was working with CS grads in this, you know, building in the city managing all these computers um and that was like a part-time job that i held through through university so you know i kind of had like a bit of a bit of a background like that where i was a bit of a wheeler dealer i wasn't really didn't really always know that i wanted to be an entrepreneur but i did i was interested in just like business i was interested in finance i studied finance at school um was interested in like how businesses work and like you know, the stock market and things like that, as well as being interested in computers and technology. And so when I, um, without trying, yeah, making everything really long, I basically got my first job as a software recruiter. Uh, that was my first full-time job. And I made good money basically recruiting software engineers for investment banks in Sydney. And that's kind of, was that was a good blend of like, business and technology and kind of like entrepreneurial where you're almost you're managing your own desk um 
And I was able to make really good money doing that basically straight out of university. I bought a house. I like had, you know, was able to save a bunch of money. And I, 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 I was, cause I was like a grinder, right? Like I was working super hard, working late nights, working on the weekends, just make, you know, doing what it took to basically be at the top of my team and like hit all my numbers. Um, and after doing that for like three years, basically straight out of school, I'd accumulated all this holiday and they basically told me that I had to take the holiday because I wasn't taking any of it and by law, like I had to take it. So, so then I was kind of like forced to go on this four or five week, I think it was a five week holiday, uh, where I backpacked around Southeast Asia, uh, went through Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. And I had so much fun on that trip. And I was spending way less money than I was making basically just with my, you know, annual like leave payment that was coming in. Like, what do I even need all this? Like, why am I working so hard? Like it was way less fun. I was just grinding, you know, wearing a suit every day in the office. Um, and like, do I even like need, like, what's the point in like earning all this money if I'm just like not able to have fun? And that was kind of like a little bit of a a, a seed for me. And so I kind of came back. I kept working for another year. I was thinking about it. And I basically decided that I was going to just do a really long trip, which you've probably seen like a bunch of Australians do. There I had like lots of uh, data points of people who would go off and go backpacking for six months or 12 months. That was like a way more common like thing to do in my community than it was like to start a business for example. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I may as well just do that. I'm like 23, 24. If, if I'm going to do it, you may as well do it when you're younger and you're going to get a different experience. Like I could keep working for 10 years and, you know, maybe get a, a house, you know, try to pay some of that off or something, and then maybe try to go on a trip with my thirties, but it's going to be a totally different experience. Like you're not going to be able to, when you have more money, buy back what that experience would be like to do it in your like early twenties. And so... I basically made the decision that I was going to go do this trip. Um, I also did a lot of work to kind of de-risk my situation. So I already got a house, which is, you know, the main, one of the main reasons you don't want to break your kind of like employment period, right. Is for for getting a mortgage. So I kind of like done that. And I made sure that like, I was like, I was leaving, you know, crushing all my numbers so that I was very employable if I needed to come back and like get a job. And I basically took, I had nine or 12 months of savings. Like, you know, that's kind of what I plotted out that I could, that I could last for, um, and quit and just went traveling while I was like winding down everything, winding down my apartment and winding down like my job, I read the four hour work week and I read it because I just heard that it was kind of like a good travel book, right. For like an idea for like traveling like that. And then in that, and in that he likes about oh how he like built a business and then continued to travel. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is like a great idea. I'm already going to travel, so um, I basically just copied the model in that book, and I launched an e-commerce store in the six months that I was kind of leading up to uh, leaving. And you know that e-commerce store started making fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars a month. Um, which was enough to live in Thailand or whatever and keep going and eventually sold that for not much, but you know, another six months of runway basically. And then basically just kept going. Yeah. And then I did that for like 10 years. 
um, and basically just ran a bunch of different websites and different different internet companies, um, continuing to basically like build something small, like flip it, trying to build something a little bit bigger, like flip it, and kind of did that all the way to to Process Street. That's sweet. Okay, I have some questions that we can get into Process Street, your current company. Um, so, what version of CS did you play? 1.5, 1. 1. 1.6. Oh, the very first version that I started playing was beta four. Yeah. So point four, basically. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. That's yeah, that's old school. Totally. I think I think we were obsessed with CS like one point five and then when one point six came out, most of my friends now switched to like basically playing EverQuest. And like the yeah. MMORPGs. I don't know if you ever got addicted to those games. Yeah, World of Warcraft. Played that for a little bit. Totally. Now, I mean, now we still play like my friends back then, I mean, from basically, I don't know, like middle school, I guess, we still play a game called Overwatch. Oh, uh, yeah. I play Overwatch. Yeah, what you say. Yeah, you do? Do you yeah, like play it? It's like Team Fortress, right? But aliens. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because you get on, it's low commitment. You get on, you have fun. Like the, I think the ELO system like does a good job of like giving you competitive matches. Yeah. Are you like obsessed with grinding ELO or are you more like a casual player? Like what's your approach to Overwatch? No, I'm, I'm casual. I mean, I haven't played probably in a beer or something, but I definitely played a lot when it came out. Totally. It is, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's my go-to like, uh, oh, if I just want 15, 20 minutes to uh, play, I'll, I'll, I'll play Overwatch. Yeah, get it. Like, especially like after a long day. Like you get in, you get a game or two, have a beer, chill, kind of unwind for your day. That's the best. Um, okay, so that's cool. So you started playing 1.4. That's. Did you play any in any point, competitive? Point, oh, point. Point four. Point four. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah. did you did you play way, any way any one came out? Yeah. Yeah. Did you? Were you like a competitive player, or were you yeah. more? Okay. Yeah. Some some sometimes, but I never got I never got super into it. Yeah. I understand like the need to kind of like build the best PC to get like your frames up and like make sure you're dominating your friends. I used to love like having land parties, but back then like the towers were so heavy you had to like basically Yeah, you need a whole car hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're like this little kid trying to cart this around. What's your ethnic descent? Like previous Australia? Are you Southeast? Yeah, my father's from India. My mom's from Australia. Okay, okay, gotcha. That's cool. Have you have you been to India recently, or not since I was twelve? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. That's cool. I I always do. I mean, I, we've interviewed a couple of Indians on this podcast, which is always fun. Like, there's some people building some cool shit in India, which yeah, like totally. I think it's yeah, India is going to crush it over the next couple of decades. I think there's something around like it's funny you brought up like this hustling and this grinding and i think that seems to like my so no, nobody in my family is entrepreneurial like there's no reference point you know like i asked my parents i'm like is there like some rich uncle that we have that i can ask about business like is there <laughs> anybody they're like yeah. no you know, fucking doctors or you know i government employees there's no like reference point you know uh so I totally hear you on just like kind of being motivated and figuring out yourself how to yeah, do it. Yeah, there's a bit of that like immigrant like mindset as well. 100%. Yeah, immigrant mentality as a good comedian of my uh, friend of mine 
quotes another comedian. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> he didn't come up with it, but I like the phrase. Okay, time to onboard a bunch of new employees, which is a whole process. And it's just one of hundreds we have around here. Wow, that's a lot of processes. Used to stress me out. But then we found Process Street. Process Street. So, Process Street. So, did you kind of devise the idea for Process Street, like based on sort of your previous companies, or how did you kind of come to come to like this being your business? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I was at the point where I was running a like portfolio of websites, like lots of different content and lead gen and just kind of like different types of low tech internet businesses, basically. Yeah. And that just, you know, and I had about a team of 20 people, um, mostly in India and the Philippines. Um, and that just kind of got to the point where this was early, you know, this was 2011 or something like that. And, you know, there was no Slack. There was no, like, I think, um, Asana maybe just launched. Uh, there was your Google Sheets was pretty early. You were using Skype to kind of communicate. And yeah, there just wasn't much tooling for like running a remote team like that. And some of these tools were coming up around, you know, collaborating on more projects, which would be more of like, like your, or, or data, right? Which is like your spreadsheets or your asanas. Um, but there wasn't really anything focused on process management where you basically have very defined repeatable processes that you just want people to follow you're not really uh designing or brainstorming or creating new ways of working or doing things you're just focused on executing a known playbook at the highest quality and efficiency um yeah, which is basically a lot of what we were doing. There was a lot of really repetitive work, just like maintaining these websites, creating content, loading up A-B tests on campaigns, just like do this a hundred times a day, right? That was yeah. a lot of what we were doing. It wasn't very like, uh, you know, creative coming up with these new ideas and strategies. It's just like, look, we need to run 500 experiments a week. Like, let's go, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so... Couldn't find anything that that did that. Most of the tools, even today, like if you if you want to, if you want a project management tool, um, you're gonna get a lot of um, flexibility, right, in how that tool gets created and managed and maintained. And there's a lot of opportunity for people to rename the task or change the cell or put in like a number when it should be a letter or up, you know, make the the file a doc instead of a PDF or like all these areas where there is like this flexibility, which kind of lets you do a lot of things. But if you need something done in a very particular way, uh, you know, and allows people to create mistakes, Process Street is like a platform in that world where people collaborate over software and data and forms and tasks and projects. But like it, there's more of a builder or like a process designer model, like, like role. And then there's a user role or process executor role. And the designer gets to design exactly how the process needs to run. Like this needs to be done and this person needs to get alerted. And then three hours later, this needs to be done. That This field needs to be filled out. It has to be a number field. This file needs to be uploaded. It has to be a PDF. And like 
you can, you know, and then once that PDF is done, it gets put into this Google Drive folder and it gets named exactly this exact name, naming format structure every time. Like you can create this very exact process, right? And make sure that it's followed every time, 100% of the time. And there's like software and automation and AI that's assisting with that process to make it like less of a lift for whatever humans are that's what the product is, but also kind of how we, how we got there. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So how did you kind of define like the customer, like initial sort of ICP, you know, did you sort of look for like companies that were like the companies you were building or, you know, did you sort of meet people just through networking to kind of get that initial sort of kindling started in terms of traction? Yeah, I mean, at the at the beginning, we targeted small businesses that were just looking to get their processes organized, um, usually targeting the owner of the business and letting them kind of decide, you know, maybe I need it for everything or maybe I need it just for these few processes. Um, through that, we started to get like some traction. We did a lot more kind of like content marketing type work just around like, process management and business process management software, which is just the general category that we're in. Um, and then through that, we're able to kind of see where there was more traction um, and where there was more value being delivered. Um, I'll say so still today, we are a horizontal product um, and we can service an entire business. So we have plenty of customers that, you know, pay us hundreds of thousands of dollars and have all their thousands of employees in from every team um, and use us as the central like repository for all their processes and workflows because we kind of have these four products. We have the main workflow product, which is the BPM tool. But we have a pages product, like a wiki. And then we have a forms product. It's like a form builder, right? Um, and then we have a data sets product that's kind of like a spreadsheet type product. And then they all they all work together. So you can you can bring in like all your processes and use us that way. Um, but actually, the more common use case is it's more being used in a specific department or function. Um, and so as we kind of like saw how you know the feedback from customers and what customers were buying and expanding and retaining, where there was more value being delivered, um, it's really these like compliance and process driven teams and departments. So. Uh -huh. For us, it's more like HR and finance are two of the big ones. If you think yep. that more like marketing or product development, they're more kind of like in this creative creation kind of like world. Um, yeah. Whereas in, in HR and finance is all this, like they have to follow laws, right? Like in everything that they're doing in their jobs. Um, so legal is a pretty good one as well. But so the way that they need to do things has to be very particular or else they go out of compliance, right? There is no flexibility on testing how we're going to do this like HR compliance like submission, right? Yes. It has to be this exact way, right? Yes. Um, and same with finance, the way that you're, you're doing your books and doing your reporting, you're usually, usually following some type of standard that like someone else has defined and you're just making sure that it, it is like aligned with that standard. Um, otherwise, you know, your bookkeepers, your tax, your accountants are not going to be able to read like your books if you're going and doing some other like, type of standard, right? Um, real estate is another big vertical for us. So same kind of deal. There's all these laws and rules and forms and things that just have to be done that exact way every time. Um, and so that's a, that's another decision for us. Yeah. Totally. I imagine healthcare too. There's all sorts of compliance. Healthcare is, yes, we do have uh, quite a few hospitals that use us. Yeah. 
That's a good one. That's that's so cool. That's sweet. Okay, so this is the first business. I mean, I think that you have raised sort of venture capital for. Yeah. Is that correct? Other ones, yeah. sort of. I did try one startup before, which was like my very first attempt at a software product. That was like a little. It was basically like what TikTok is. Um, you know, it was like something in that world, trying to create like short interactive videos for phones. It was you know kind of different models. Um, but there was a whole bunch of products back then. It was basically on the iPhone 3G, iPhone 4, like that kind of era. And there was a whole, like, there was a whole bunch of video products that launched and got a bunch of traction uh, or not, um, but all died because basically the phones and the phone networks couldn't handle video yet. Um, it was too totally. much. It would, the data was too expensive. It would kill your battery. That was like the first, the first, uh, startup we basically just raised like a small resident family around went through an accelerator and then shut it down it's like these social app companies like there's so much capex to them too in the early stages right like you need millions and millions of dollars to hire engineers and then like your revenue payoff is like five years after you start the company and like yeah. sure it's like steep but it's yeah that's yeah, an interesting and back then like you know, not even YouTube could survive. YouTube's from that era, yep. right? And YouTube couldn't afford to pay their bills. Like YouTube would have been dead if someone like Google didn't didn't acquire them. Where Google can basically lose money on the data center uh, for decades, essentially, until this product becomes something. Um, and that's even with Google's like you know Google has some of the cheapest data center like capacity in the world, um, and they still you know to burn for ten years. Are you seeing that a little bit like with an AI sort of business? I mean, the server costs probably make up a significant part of like any IT AI, budget or is Well, the way that most most people are going to be using AI is really, really cheap. Um, it's like if you're using AI and it's part of a SaaS product, then you're not like doing, you're not managing your own compute. You're just using an API of someone else's. And right, that's... You, that's you're true. just getting you're just getting charged based on like usage, right? You don't have these like capex expenses. It's a variable expense, and you can just build into your pricing model, right, a way where you charge customers as their usage goes up, and so you just put a margin on it in some way. Right? That's There's true. All, this is a different ways to do that. So it's pretty much never going to be a problem for most software companies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a great point. So what? What's it been like kind of running a venture back company like in comparison to your previous companies? How's it different? You know, you know, pluses and minuses, right? Like the, the big pluses, obviously, you have more money. Yeah. And so you're not at this, or, you know, when you're running a normal bootstrap business until you get probably pretty big, which I never got any of my businesses to that stage, it was, it was only a few months of cash basically at any point in time. Um, and if you're not managing that correctly or something bad goes, goes goes bad or you have a bad month or something and your revenue drops by half then you know you get very stressed out whereas knowing that you have like you know years of cash in the bank um you know is is nice for the psyche that but then on the flip side like with with venture you basically you then get to the point where you run out of that money and then you need to go like refill the coffer and so you kind of don't have this like perpetual like anxiety but you have this like slow building anxiety for like a year and a half and then it peaks and then it comes down again um yes 
that's no that's so true i mean so we like we bootstrapped for like eight or nine years we got to like 10 million in revenue and like we were profitable you know pretty profitable and then we're like let's raise venture and the stresses are like way different i mean it's the same company we've been running the same company for i mean almost a decade over a decade i guess and it's it's totally different and it's funny sometimes i think i'm like man i didn't appreciate like so when you look back fondly on like pre-venture days, you're like, I had different stresses, but I'm not sure if they were better or worse because now yeah. you're like, you're staring against like, you like, you have to get growth. There's no other option. You just have to do it, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's a, I don't know, man, like big... 10 million bootstrap. That seems like you've got the best of both worlds if you get to that size, because then you kind of have, I was basically going to say the second big benefit of like having more like cash in the bank and runway is that you basically get to hire more help, right? 100%. And so that makes your personal life, uh, you know, assuming you hire the right people, uh, can, can take off a lot, a lot of like annoying tasks and just late nights and burnout that you can't really afford to offload sometimes in a bootstrap business. No, that's, dude, that's so true. I mean, I will say like for my personal quality of life and like, the ability to hire like really excellent people that have kind of had like previous at bats at this thing that we're doing. That's been a huge thing. For yeah. Us. And like you, you kind of shift like where you are, even on like your, you know, if you think about like hiring, like if you're trying to hire at a certain skill percentile relative to the market, you get to like shift, you know, one standard deviation. Yes. And yes. so you can now afford to do that. And the output is like twice as good. You know, yeah. so that's that's been super cool for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I'd say that's um, probably the biggest benefit. Yeah. Oh yeah, you just work with people. You're like, oh shit, like this person like knows what's up. Like this is great. You know, is your team fully remote? Like, are you are you guys building a remote company? Yeah, yeah, we've been remote since day one because I was already uh, a nomad in the beginning. So <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's part of like why I wanted to build a SaaS company in the first place, because it's a business model that like aligns with being fully remote, right? Where's most of your team located these days? US or half, half US, half Europe. So most of our like product and eng is in Europe and then all like sales and CS and stuff. Solutions consulting is in US. You seem like a guy that's like put a lot of thought into like how you optimize your own schedule and week like maybe what's your week look like so i i basically have like tuesdays as a focus day uh where i do where i do no meetings and then i'm pretty much just meetings the rest of the week (laughs) (laughs) but is there like a theme to each day like you're like okay like sales meetings on one day this meeting on that day anything like that no because i guess because the team's remote it's more optimized around like the time zones and that what's the most convenient times for like the team to basically um, versus like me setting, you know, putting everybody in a cadence around like how I want to work. Yeah, that makes sense. What's your, what's your sleep and wake time and gym time? Like what's, how, what's your personal kind of hygiene routine around health? Yeah. Um, so sleep is usually like, 1230 to 830 something. Okay. Um, okay, okay. And Reasonable. then and I try to always get eight hours. So maybe yep. we're like 
12 to 8 or even 12 to 8 30 or something uh yep. then i'll either go to the gym in the morning if i maybe if my first call starts at 10 then i'll go to the gym straight in the morning um but if i have early calls then i'll probably just do my calls um and then go to the gym afterwards which is worse because it's like busy especially in new york then if i have to go at 6 p.m 6 or 7 p.m uh but i usually go to the gym five days a week uh and then i like i just jog to the gym and then i do resistance training and then the other two days i try to do something like go for a bike ride or something i, I city bike a lot around uh new york too, to just get some extra dangerous <laughs> yeah. Did your fund make you do a key man insurance policy? Yeah, yeah. Just for that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I like to go on hikes and I always and you know, obviously I let people know when I'm on vacation and like not reachable, which is rare, but I try to let people know. And they're always our fund's always like, Are you okay? Did you get eaten by a fucking bear? You know? And so it's the nature of the game. Um, that's cool. Okay. What gym do you go to? Do you go to an Equinox or are they Awesome. Then, I'm in uh, Greenpoint, and okay. is, yeah, near Williamsburg. Um, so I don't know. I just go to the closest gym, which is a, a CrunchFit, basically. But uh, there are some better gyms that I might go to occasionally when I have time. But it's going to cost me like an extra thirty to sixty minutes to do it. Then that's more totally. like it's more like an outing than it is like uh, a workout. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. When I used to live in in New York. Like I would live, I lived in Astoria, and so if I had a nice Saturday open, I'd like take the train into Manhattan, go to like the Equinox down on the I think it was the Upper East Side Equinox, and um, just get like a nice two hour lift in, walk down Central, you know, Park is those are good Saturdays, and so when you think about like. Uh, driving forward initiatives at Process Street. Like, where's your focus these days, just sort of as founder CEO? Our focus has been pretty much this year has been on AI. So we've already launched three AI features. We launched um, first one, which is like a generative workflow builder. So you can just say, I want a workflow on, you know, accounting in France or something, right? Like on my doing, doing like my end of year closeout tax for, a small business entrance, right? And it will basically build out like a, you know, an example kind of template workflow, but it's pretty smart. It will like know a lot about like the France accounting laws, right? And we'll put a lot of that stuff into the into the workflow for you. Um, but it's kind of like, if you think about it, that's kind of like an infinite template generator, essentially. Um, that was the first project we did. We were just getting started. Like the team was learning about GPT. Then we built an importer. So you can essentially import any process document and it will turn that into one of our interactive workflows. So, um, and the good thing about this is that it can be in any format. So you can upload a, a document. So this is like a document explaining how we do something, you know, Word doc or Google doc. You could upload a spreadsheet that's kind of like an example of like, here's 20 people that we onboarded with all their tasks uh, in a spreadsheet. And it will kind of like be able to process through the spreadsheet. We can upload like a, a flow diagram, like a BPMN, a Visio diagram, right? like a Lucid diagram that basically shows like the process and flow. It will understand, be able to process like any of those and then turn it into like a process workflow with forms and assignments and roles and due dates and 
you know, handoffs and approvals and like all the things that would kind of happen in there it can kind of build all that up for you. Um, so that's really, really cool. That's becoming like super, super valuable. And then this week, actually, or last week, we just launched our AI task. And so that actually lets you start use it to, lets you to start using AI inside your workflows. So if you have like an employee onboarding workflow and, you know, part of that is you have some forms that have their name and start date, um, maybe their resume or something or some information about them, you can, you know, have it generate a welcome message for them or have it generate personalized emails. Um, you can have it do sentiment analysis or you can have it do math calculations or you can have it do transformation of data or like whatever you want. So through this workflow, you can pull in some stuff, send it to the AI, get some results and then continue to use that. Um, and then, yeah, and, we're, and then we're also looking at basically like we're focused on how do we deploy all the other like AI technology that's coming out and how do we deploy that across the organization to drive like operational efficiency. So um, how are we using AI in sales, in marketing, in engineering, in HR, like in everything that we're doing, we're testing like all the products that are coming out. One, to just drive more efficiency uh, in our business, but two, to also educate our team, right, on the technology. So that's, that's sweet. That's our focus, yeah. I have, I have so many questions. So how did you, like, how are you sort of spending your time and like learning about sort of the frontier technology and use cases in your business, you know, maybe to implement into your product, to your customers? How are you kind of encouraging and aligning like your team to do that? I think a lot of growth stage companies struggle with like balancing, like executing on known um, strategies, but leaving enough time to explore unknown opportunities that might be better. So I'm curious about how you think about that and like how you direct your team to think about that. I mean, one of our values is continuous improvement. And so we already have some kind of like value based um, culture in there that encourages iterating and experimenting on whatever you're doing you know aggressively and so there's also there's already like some capacity reserved for iteration and experimentation in most of what we do and so it's really just like slotting this into that capacity and saying like the experiments and iterations you should be doing right now and should be focused on are should be around AI, right and just using that as the the kind of focus for those experiments but the culture of like continuous improvement and iteration uh you know that's part of like what you know our product has a continuous improvement feature right like you can iterate on your workflows and you can track their performance over time as you run iterations on, on workflows right and so it's just part of our product and part of our culture i was like improving your systems the the first part of your question which is like what do i do my my focus uh when i'm like getting hands-on is usually in so I'm basically yeah. running, I'm testing the marketing tools, basically. Um, and that's kind of my, uh, I'd say my strongest, like, kind of operating uh, vertical. So there, also some stuff in kind of like sales, right? Which is a little bit of like crossover of kind of RevOps sales type tools to, to make you know, the SDRs and things like that. And like, I'm sure you guys use Process Street, then Process Street, right? Probably. Oh, yeah. For your... yeah, yeah. Every team. Does <laughs> do you have a rule like you can't use Asana or other things? Or are you sort of more? No, like... no. We, we use different products because like it's good for 
um, the team to, to also see how other products work as well. So yeah, pretty, pretty open to people trying tools. That's cool. That's awesome. What are you, what are you excited about for the back half of the year as far as product initiatives, anything like that? Yeah. So we're now looking at pointing AI towards things like integrations and and more automations. So now we've done some of the the generative stuff. Can we basically use it to uh, power some other things? Like for example, can it can it generate like integration code for customers on demand um so trying to kind of use it uh, to make uh, kind of like empower more powerful um like no code type workflows right where things where you would have previously needed an engineer to go and build that can we kind of like just turn that into a prompt for the customer um and kind of you know white you know cut out that like experience of the code and make it feel like they're more talking to an AI, but actually on the back end, it's like writing code for them. Um, That's so yeah, it's starting, starting to get a bit more kind of technical and advanced with, with some of the features. We've been kind of starting with the easy ones and we're, we're building up to, to the more, more complex ones. Yeah. That's sweet. Do you feel like, like if you look at your career and sort of the businesses that you've built, do you feel like this is one of the most intellectually gratifying ones or sort of like, is that even because it seems like this is a very complex business it's technical you're at the edge of technology yeah no definitely yeah there's never been anything that we've that i've gotten to anywhere close to this this scale that has this level of like complexity yeah both from a technology perspective but then also from like just a business operations perspective as well um and so I think just the fact that there's so many moving pieces, you know, keeps you very uh, intellectually engaged, um, especially when you're trying to stay up to date on like what's new in sales and then what's new in technology and what's new in like, you know, user experience. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that has allowed me to do it for so long is because it's just constantly changing. Otherwise, like historically, I get bored of things pretty easily the same way it's like that's probably the thing that i enjoy most about the job is that it's not boring you know it's, it's always yeah. stuff that, as you look kind of to the next i don't know let's say 30 years of your like career do you have a sense like do you want to stay sort of working in technology um do you have plans of retiring when you hit like i don't know a certain number or age like give me insight into your psyche there yeah uh no i don't think i will retire i think i would wouldn't mind being at a place where i could like take some longer kind of like breaks basically so i don't mind taking a year or two off here or there like in, in between things um but i think I'd, I'd probably keep working or running running businesses or investing or some something in that world like forever basically um, and I just may like adjust the, um, intensity of the type of business that I run. Right. So I may, you know, I, I haven't decided exactly what I want to do, but I don't think I'll be like fully being the CEO of venture backed companies, um, until I die. Uh, but you know, maybe I could be minority owner in multiple companies or maybe run like some companies that have a bit more flexibility 
around, um, you know, basically that they're not the more bootstrap companies where I don't have these like responsibilities to investors and shareholders and I can kind of control the amount of work a bit, you know, a, a, a bit more, uh, <laughs> but no, yes. I don't think I'll ever just be doing like nothing. Yeah. It's interesting because like, you know, when you're sort of building a tech business, like your upside is infinite. And so like you sort of feel compelled to maximize like every waking moment of your work life. It's funny because you, so you started sort of your journey in entrepreneurship, like reading the four hour work week, which is all about like, I mean, it's not about working four hours. It's about like maximizing the efficacy of every hour, but like minimizing yeah. the amount of hours. Right. So like, you know, maybe you're doing 10, 15, 20 hours a week, but now you sort of found yourself in like a high growth, like software company where the yeah. culture is like you're grinding. So like, how do you feel sort of about that? I think, well, firstly, you know, the four hour work week is not necessarily about minimizing the number of hours. It's about like maximizing kind of pro like productivity totally. towards whatever you want that to be. Right. So if that is that you want it to be like sure. chilling on a beach, but I, I don't want to chill on a beach for, you know, an extra 50 hours a week. Like, I, especially like if I can already chill on a beach for 20 hours a week, like. Uh, yeah what's the incremental value of chilling for more <laughs> yeah i don't really like need another 50 right like that's uh, yeah, true <laughs> uh so 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 yeah so one is like you can you basically get that time back to do stuff with and you can use it to chill on a beach or you can use it to make more money um yep. and so coming from the base that I, that I, where i was i didn't have enough money to do anything right like i barely had a few months of, of living expenses as, as savings and so to me that was more important than getting more beach time it was getting you know extending my um getting closer towards financial freedom right so that gave me a lot of a lot of opportunities that's kind of what i chose to do I don't, I don't think that I'll ever go, try to get to a point where I'm only working four hours a week and I'm, you know, doing like chilling for the rest of the time. Um, but yeah, maybe in a few businesses time when I'm, you know, closer to retirement age, I what? might consider businesses that only do take me 10 or 20 hours a week to run um, and kind of design, design them that way. How do you think about like, up maximizing the productivity of your team do you track and do you care about hours that your team works availability anything like that or do you are you sort of like listen here are the goals work when you can and work as hard as you can yes the way that we do it is we run like okrs and we're outcome focused then we obviously you know the hiring process is is one of the most important pieces mm -hmm. of it. it's like hiring the right people and then education, education and tooling, right? Where we um, try to educate people on how to become very productive and use a lot of like automation and technology to make themselves more productive. And, you know, we have like, we do this, like we have like an inbox, inbox zero, like course, and we have uh, different basically productivity training and you know, tooling and technology training that we provide um also just like building that stuff ourselves right having strong ops teams that are basically automating as much as possible in the business um that just automatically makes people way more productive 
So yeah, trying to build it into the culture, trying to hire the right people. Um, but we don't, you know, we have a pretty mature adult culture where we set clear expectations and we give people a lot of room to achieve those. I, I love that. Like a course on maintaining inbox zero and like why that's valuable. That's cool. Uh, that's really neat. Did you write that course or did no, you? No, I was about to say I can hook you up with the, uh, the, the team that does it. Yeah, I would love that. Because I, I think there are a lot of things that at least um, we maybe, at least I take for granted that like seems obvious, you know, yeah. like kind of. I'll give them a shout out. It's a, it's a company called Leverage. Uh, you just search leverage consulting or something, leverage productivity, something like that. Um, what are some tells in the hiring process that you sort of have understood to indicate like high levels of engagement and productivity that you've seen in your career? Like normal stuff. Like how, what have you built before? Like show me times, like common questions that I'll ask is like, show me system. Like what are some ways that you've used tools or technology or systems to improve your own productivity workflow? Um, either at work or, you know, personally or in a side hustle you had. Um, I want to see people that like have a mindset of constantly looking for ways to um, make the way that they work easier, right? Um, another good one is just through the hiring process, like how quickly are they getting back to you? How much do they engage in the different tasks that you give them? You know, are they you know, having trouble getting on the Zoom call? Do they book the Calendly appointment within 15 minutes or within like two days? Um, and so somebody that's, yeah, and then we'll give them a project, right? A lot of the time there'll be a project around like something to do with like using process treat or using some other like tool or system and kind of looking at the details of those projects and basically watching through the hiring process, like, are they good at tweaking like uh, advanced levers inside systems and tools as they're using? Right? Is are they are they basically a responsive, fast learning power user of tools and technology? Which a lot of that comes from like kind of looking through all the things that they they all the touch points through the hiring process and and then seeing like oh that was fast or that was clever or that was. That was interesting, right? Like, and trying to find those kind of like standout moments that make the way that they interact or the the, the projects that they do or the tools that the tools and technology that they're using show that they kind of have some type of like edge to them that the average candidate doesn't. Yeah. So where where can people find you, your company, uh, if they want to uh, maybe become a customer, refer a customer, you know, uh, apply to join your team? We, uh, you know, the website process.st is our main website that you can sign up for a trial, play with the product. Uh, our YouTube channel, if you just search Process Street YouTube, uh, or our Twitter, you know, which is Process Street, or my Twitter, VinAP10. Uh, we also have a partner program too, to Google Process Street Partners. If you wanted to refer someone, they have a partner program you can go through. Cool, man. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the frontier, dude. And it's awesome to learn about you and, and your company. And companies. Awesome, man. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. Look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. 
If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at The Frontier Pod, and we'll see you next week. Did I just freeze? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, it's <laughs> it's cool to learn about you. Man. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first ten hours with a kick-ass engineer.